This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! fortunate today to be joined by Manny Lagos, a Minnesota soccer legend, of course. And Manny, I know this is unprecedented times, first of all. I mean, let's just get that out of the way as we're all kind of sitting at home, chilling at home, trying to work and navigate this space. And before we get into sort of your your playing career and your history with MLS with the 25th anniversary, how, how have you been doing in this time and how have you been navigating these unprecedented times? Well, certainly, um, you know, I, I, I think I always start out with the uh, thinking about, you know, everybody being safe and, 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 you know, healthy and family and friends. And that that's first and foremost, I think anybody within the Minnesota United family and, and obviously Minnesota. And then this situation has really kind of brought the whole world to a reality of uh, that we're all a little bit closer than we think. Um, so hopefully, uh, like I'm trying to do is use this time to reflect on, on things that we can control and, and spend time with family and also try to, to work on, on things that uh, we want to get better as a club, uh, maybe in a way, a perspective we haven't thought about before. So uh, there's no doubt it's challenging. There's no doubt uh, we have a lot of, of um, adversity uh, in the upcoming months, uh, both for uh, the world, but also the world of soccer. So um when I put that aside, then I want to start thinking about how I can be positive and glass half full and how we can try to get better and improve on, on this moment. So, um, you know, uh, just like to say hello to everybody out there and hopefully uh, everybody is is dealing with this challenging time the best they can. And, and we send our best and our best wishes. What about you personally? I know we've kind of asked everybody we've done a podcast with any, any binge watching going on over there. I mean, we're just talking oh, about so the much. different things. <laughs> I mean, it's an insane amount of binge watching. I, I've had a couple nice moments of, um, you know, father and son and, mm-hmm. and probably appropriate for this call. You know, I got to watch the, uh, uh, what I think people consider the greatest MLS game in the history where we were down for nothing mm-hmm. uh, and came back in one five, four and, and being a part of that game. And my son, kind of relive that moment was nice. And then a couple nights later, I think they played the uh, 2003 MLS cup final, um, out in LA where we, uh, we beat Chicago fire four two to win the MLS cup. So, um, those are some nice moments. Uh, I also, with my wife, we've had some nice, just, uh, <laughs> you know, binge moments late night where we're mm-hmm. you know, getting our kids down. I think I just mentioned, we got a, a quarantine puppy. We call, uh, our, <laughs> Um, so that puts us at three dogs and a cat now in this household. So, um, a lot going on where we're trying to, to stay, uh, active as a family. And then certainly, um, I would be lying if I didn't say we were doing some binge watching. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's, you know, we've, we've watched some things over here that I don't think normally are up my alley, like tiger King, but you know, everyone was talking about it. So we had to at least watch a little bit of that. And then, you know, some mixes of some other things, same thing. Once, once the kid, once Adeline's in bed, you know, turn on the TV and we're done with our work day. So I, I do like the puppy, though. I mean, did you name it Corona or what was the name? No, the name is her name is Birdie. Birdie. Oh, okay. So, uh, my son named her, um, you know, so yeah, we, we had a, yeah. a dog pass away in the fall. And mm. I don't think we were planning on getting another dog, but we felt like we're going to be here uh, as a family for a while. It was no better time to kind of all contribute to taking care of the, the new puppy. 
Well, you mentioned that there are some good moments with your son kind of um, that's been what's been really nice is whether it's been streaming on MLSsoccer.com or some stuff on MNUFC.com or, you know, replaying games on some of the national networks. I mean, what was what was that time like for you? I mean, we can walk through your career, UWM, you were with the Thunder 90 to 96, basically. I mean, while you were still in college playing and then you went overseas and then all of a sudden your career in MLS got going in the middle of 96. Um, what, what was that like for you to, first of all, see MLS even be created? Did you ever think that was a possibility in the United States? Well, I, 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 I mean, especially now where we are um, and we get to reflect on, uh, you know, the 25 years and, and you brought up just my own individual history and then it kind of, uh, you know, becomes more uh, expansive when you think about where MLS is now and, and, and what it came from. And then I think that's why those videos are so special and unique is because it, it's bringing out raw emotion of people that both individually, collectively, uh, you know, have, have tried to build and grow a league that, um, you know, has dealt with some serious challenges to become relevant uh, in the, the landscape of professional sports here. Um, and certainly right now, um, you know, we're at a place where, um, you know, there's certainly some uncertainty within the, the reality of, of sports in general and, and big gatherings. But if we just kind of let's take a glass half full moment here and think about where soccer is in this country, it is relevant. It is massive. It is uh, has amazing stadiums, amazing environments, amazing fan bases, um, millions of kids playing on FIFA right now, millions of kids thinking about uh and working on moves that MLS players have done mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. And so um, it's surreal. And, and to me, um, you know, one of the, the special things about working with Minnesota United and the role I do now is I grew up, uh, you know, a mile away from the stadium, uh, dreaming about soccer becoming a bigger sport uh, in the community uh, and in the country. And somehow that's happened. And somehow I get to kind of now be doing this interview and reflect on it. And uh, reflect on, on my career. So it's, it's really a special and, you know, it, it, it's unique in that, you know, uh, my, my high school years were really special. And then we had a group of players that um, several that went on to become professional soccer players, which was special. Um, you mentioned the thunder, mm-hmm. which started out as an amateur team and grew into a professional team. So then you have a lot of my friends from that era uh, became professional soccer players and contributed to the soccer specifically in Minnesota and to what the iteration of pro soccer is in Minnesota United is really is an evolution of, of the Minnesota Thunder. Um, and in my own personal journey of, of really, I would say, uh, a 15-year career that was so fulfilling and, and really had some, some highlight moments. Um, you know, I, I think about, uh, uh, you know, the 92 Olympics and, and Barcelona mm-hmm. now and thinking about, um, you know, having the, the – not, not just scoring the goal and, and having that group uh, do pretty well, considering that U.S. soccer hadn't done really well in, in international events, but just the, the players on that team, Kobe Jones, Joe Max Moore, Alexi Lalas, um, Mike Lapper. Jeez, I'm missing so many. Mike Burns. There, there's like probably so many percentage of players that are still involved in soccer because of that, that time frame. Um, really, really special. Um, and, you know, then you move on to uh, when MLS started. Uh, mm-hmm. And really, my, my trajectory of my career was not just free-flowing, a great 10-year pro career. I mean, I, I, I did have personal success. I won three MLS championships. Mm-hmm. It didn't come easy. You know, I, I had a two-and-a-half-year injury of, of ACL, mm-hmm. LCL injuries that 
I had to battle back from where I didn't think mm-hmm. I was going to keep playing. I, I thought I was going to retire in the, the mid to late nineties. Um, and it was really a test of, of adversity for me that I found a way to kind of reinvent the kind of player I was. I don't think I ever was the same player, uh, maybe in terms of overall talent. I had to shift from being maybe this talent player to being a, a cerebral kind of player that made other people mm-hmm. around them better. Uh, but all of those attributes in the career I had in MLS, I think, allowed me to um, use that that to try to 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 work on the phase I'm in now um, in my career, which is trying to use that adversity to to build and, and grow a club and have a club that has identity that uh, you know wants to get better, wants to be resilient, wants to embrace adversity. Um, and I try to kind of mirror those qualities that I felt like I learned while I was a player and, and use them now in my, uh, my chief soccer officer role. So go back to 96, middle of the season of the inaugural, inaugural season of MLS, Metro Stars. What was that? If you go back in the brain of Manny Lagos at that time, what was that like? How did that come about? How did you, um, you know, get the call, get the nod, get the whatever you want to call it with the Metro Stars and then those moments before your pretty horrific injury and you just talked about MCL, LCL, ACL. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. You know, I, I actually turned down the initial contracts to go to MLS. Uh, I, I had a lot of loyalty to the Thunder and MLS mm-hmm. starting out. Um, importantly, the reason they did was very important. Financially, they had to, to survive. So, but the contracts were very low. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was tough for me to accept right away an initial lower base contract and, and move out to New York and kind of navigate um, you know, I was at that point in my mid twenties, unlike some of the younger guys who are younger who could probably live off of a base salary, which at the time was $24,000 <laughs> need to hear that. Uh, and so I, I didn't go right away. And about two months into MLS the 96 season, uh, the Metro stars came to me with a much better offer that made more sense and was more viable for me to, to move. And I think the timing was right. Considering MLS got up and running, um, you know, and I was honored that they really recruited me pretty hard to go there. And, um, and it was exciting, you know, again, the league that first year, um, you know, had some great, great players and, and really had a, a excitement about it that felt like a world cup year. Sometimes when we watch mm-hmm. it here in this country, mm-hmm. especially back then, um, and, you know, I, I had a great coach, Carlos Karosh, you know, he's, he's mm-hmm. the Iranian national team coach, but he's been assistant coach at Real Madrid at Manchester United. Uh, he won a U20 World Cup with Portugal. And and for me uh, to come from somebody like my father, who was such an amazing pioneer coach here. And to this day, uh, you know, I, I am uh, humbled to be his son, but also to have worked with him uh, when he coached me as a player. And in this shift to, to this coach that I had, who had a lot of similar qualities, uh, being more on a global scale. Uh, really set me on a pretty cool trajectory of, of, of involvement in coaches that have influenced my life as well. And so a lot of times when I, when I talk about my career, I do talk about the playing side, the adversity, um, you know, and I, I, I don't shy away from talking about winning championships. It's, it's mm-hmm. been part of my, my success and belief, you know, um, across the, the, the generations of, of, of iterations of my career. Uh, but I also talk about these coaches. These, you know, I had Bob Bradley as a coach at Chicago Fire. I was like Carlos Pereira, the 94 Brazilian World Cup champion coach. Um, obviously, Bruce Arena with the full national mm-hmm. team. Uh, mm-hmm. I made a big impact. And then my two championships in San Jose, uh, Frank Gallup and Dom Kinnear, mm-hmm. uh, were really just retired players. And, and so the influence of, of having coaches who were 
closer to my age uh, was really impactful for me in terms of how I try to relate to the generations of kids and players now um, that I kind of come across, whether it's when I coached for the, for the Thunder slash Minnesota United or now uh, in my role as sporting director slash chief soccer officer. It's really nice to kind of try to use all of those um, amalgamations of coaches I've worked at to kind of uh, hopefully try to impact the, the players we have and, and the value we're trying to get out of them with Minnesota United. Well, you talked about Bob Bradley. And then so after your time with the Metro Stars, trying to come back from that crazy injury, maybe not quite the player that, as you've admitted yourself, that you once were, but then you went in the expansion draft to the Chicago Fire. What was that like playing under Bob Bradley? I mean, we hear rumors and stories and different things about him as a coach, but back in those days, was he similar to what we hear about him today? I think I don't. I think the, the the principles and morals with Bob and how he looks at the game haven't changed at all. You know, certainly like all of us, he evolves. He, he the game's evolved here. He's looking at the game every day to get better. So there's no doubt. Uh, like all of us, we're, we're trying to absorb and learn and continue to learn. And I think Bob is is no different in that. Um, I, I don't think he's uh, one that that sits idle and says he knows everything about the sport now or says this is it. This is the kind of coach I am. I'm never going to change. Uh, but I, I could say back then. Um, you could see somebody who was young and hungry that wanted to absorb the game, wanted to make an impact on, on a young generation of kids uh, and players. Um, and the the specialness of that fire team uh, wasn't just the group of players or even the coaching staff. I think that inaugural year was one of the, the more unique experiences I've seen from a city embracing a team. And mm-hmm. you now they embraced the, the fire like the bulls and, and mm-hmm. like the, uh, the bears. And, um, and it was really special because I, it made me realize what a great sports town Chicago is and was, and it gets me excited for, for the fire and their new um, uh, goal to, to move back downtown and to start to kind of integrate back into that kind of, I would say layer of, of top tier uh, pro sports in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really special moment. I mean, again, we, we, we won the Sportish, I'm not Sportish, I'm sorry, we won the Open Cup as well as the, uh, the MLS Cup that year. Mm-hmm. So then moving on, Tampa Bay, you end up with the Rowdies and you kind of lit it on fire there, that next step of your career. Had a couple really good seasons there. And anything in particular that you remember about your time with Tampa Bay as the, the league continued to evolve? Because now what are we at now? 99 to 2000 those years as the league continues to involve continues to you know owners start to invest it continues to grow but what would you say about your time with with Tampa Bay well I think I, I can say we 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 had a really special team particularly offensively you know it, it was and I said rowdies I meant mutiny sorry mutiny. right that's okay I like it, I liked it. we actually didn't have I do have a rowdies throwback uniform <laughs> so um I would say it was a really special team, uh, particularly attacking-wise. We were very good for two years. Uh, I, we had uh, Steve Rawls sitting, and then mm-hmm. obviously Carlos Valderrama, who mm-hmm. was a big impact on my career. And I have a, a special story with Carlos because we actually, our paths crossed, um, let's see, that was 1999. Mm-hmm. So eight years earlier, 91-ish, um, I went to train in Spain for a club called Bayern. Mm-hmm. He was just signed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and uh, Rene Alvarez and Higita, all three of them were signed uh, to Valladolid. And I went there to go train uh, mm-hmm. based on somebody who said, hey, it'd be great for you to try training a month in Spain. Um, and I got to know Carlos really well. 
you know, again, I, I was more of a young kid kind of training with him. So I didn't really play a lot of games with him, mm-hmm. uh, but it was nice to kind of have this full circle reconnection with somebody uh, from when you're this young kid, you kind of look up to this this guy with this great big hair and this great big <laughs> um, And it was unbelievable. You know, I, I think uh, to me, I, I kind of talk about him and Roberto Donadoni as the two kind of superstars that I played with, uh, you know, really closely. And I got to see them, uh, how they went about the game, how they went about preparing, how they went about expecting excellence all the time. Um, you know, I, I joke, I think Carlos probably expected excellence offensively, maybe not quite defensively, <laughs> uh, but he was amazing, amazing passer, amazing uh, ability to find you, move the ball. And mm-hmm. I think my game really grew in terms of movement off the ball, in terms of really believing if I made a run and somebody wanted to find me, wanted to connect mm-hmm. with me. Um, and we certainly had, had some really good years in terms of, um, you know, pushing ourselves and pushing our our league play uh, it didn't quite translate into the playoffs, but uh, it certainly didn't league play. I, I do have one story that I like to tell that is off the soccer path. Um, mm-hmm. It just talks about how Carlos was actually a pretty, Valderrama was a pretty introverted guy, pretty quiet. You know, he, he had a little suburb house, uh, didn't like to uh, go in the public very much, um, but he did do some fun things for the, for the team and he didn't do them all the time. So he wasn't this extrovert says every day I'm going to take the guys out and do stuff. But once a year, he'd have a big get-together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about the get-together was that uh, the expectation was no matter what, uh, everybody's going to the swimming pool. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if you were five years old or 95 years old. Um, when you went in the house, unless you were completely pregnant or there was a <laughs> and he would let you know. So, but yeah. night you'd be going to the swimming pool. And, and it was so funny because his English was limited, but he, he definitely could say, you know, you are going to the swimming pool. So it was, a, it was a fun, fun way for him to kind of show his personality. Um, and again, th- those teams to me in, in Tampa, we, we were examples of, you know, we, we were close, but the reality was we probably weren't as balanced as we needed to be to win a championship, both offensively and defensively at the right time and place. Uh, but, but great memories, really, really fun memories. I can't remember where I recently saw him. I don't know if it was at like an international champions cup thing or, you know, something with the world cup or some, I saw him and he looks exactly the same. I mean, he has the same hair, same everything that I remember running into him where he was on the street and not everybody knows who he is, which is shocking because of that hair. But I just remember I caught, I caught him out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, wow, you can't mistake that guy. I mean, you know, and he still looks like he could play, you know, I mean, he's, yeah, he has not aged at all. No. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to see um, and and to hear that name come up in, in MLS stories. You know, I mean, there's been some legends that have come through now. And I think, you know, speaking about the league before we move on to your San Jose days, I mean, isn't that what's kind of been fun about you being able to watch the league evolve over 25 years is now the names that have maybe evolved around at that time and what was an anomaly. But now that is, you've seen some of these names, international players or even domestic players that um are superstars come into this league and for better or for worse they they attract attention to it they help grow the game in this country oh yeah yeah you know i i i'm I, i've been so lucky to be able to to travel the last three years and i'm sure we'll get to minnesota united stuff mm-hmm. in a second but i'll just bring it up from you know trying to build the you know our, our three years in allianz field and trying to build a competitive team mm-hmm. and, and you know, i've I've traveled the world over and over again, um, trying to scout and grow the the value of players in our in our club. And the one thing I can say is the the moniker of an aging league um, 
is really unique when I go to somewhere like Argentina and I mm-hmm. see 35, 36, 37 yeah. former superstars still playing, mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. wanting mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens in leagues all over the world. Um, and it, it still is continuing to happen. So to me, um, you know, that's one area where we're going to grow and we have grown as a club. You know, our, our signing of players, I think, has evolved in a way that clubs are trying to do it for the identity of what makes sense for them as a club, uh, both on, on and off the field. Don't get me wrong. This is a business. Uh, marketing is part of this business. But I think there has been a shift in the last five years where the, the business now is the best value play is winning. Uh, mm-hmm. And so now I think clubs are becoming much more uh, calculated about the quote-unquote aging superstars they sign. Um, I think they're being more calculated about the type of foreigners they sign, the type of Americans they're trying to get in there. But to your point, uh, we should look back at the past because it's been awesome. I mean, I like that you brought up the the amazing amount of domestic players that have been out there and have been contributed. And then also, um, I love the fact that we've had, you know, always uh, the U.S. and soccer in this country, we are going to be a destination for international Mm -hmm. stars. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they are always going to be looking to us uh, to, to, to come here and, 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 and see what this country's about and see what this quality of life's about. I just think the difference is now we actually do more of the picking and choosing versus yeah. them because when they mm-hmm. do it for the reasons uh, mm-hmm. that are based on retiring, um, I think they, they get in trouble and they can't quite, uh, you know, be as impactful mm-hmm. um, as somebody who really wants to come here and show off that they're still a great player. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's been really fun to, you know, see it evolved and back even the days of me coaching Thunder Camps as my summer job way back in the day. I remember those fondly and then seeing, um, you know, how deserved it is. And we'll get to Minnesota United. That Minnesota United has an MLS club just seeing that evolution, not just of the league, but of Minnesota soccer. So San Jose Earthquakes, 2001-2003 MLS Cup for you and the team, but also just your time there. You know, you requested a trade, if I read correctly, from Tampa Bay. You end up with the San Jose Earthquakes. Some fabulous time there, not just for you, but for the club under two pretty well-known coaches um, in this league, even to this day, and some still uh, around uh, doing their thing. What was your time like in San Jose? I mean, how did you transition from Tampa Bay? You head across the country to San Jose. What was that like? I mean, it was absolutely a, a great time in my career just because, like I said, I, 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 I won a lot of, of in my career, but I also, when I reflect, I had to kind of think about how I wanted to contribute and how I wanted to continue to play and, and, mm-hmm. and evolve as a player. And it was really nice because the, the group in San Jose, we had a great mixture of younger and older players. We had, you know, young, innovative coaches that wanted to allow players to bring out their personalities and bring out who they were on the field. And the timing was just so nice. You know, I, I obviously, um, you know, we created an environment where we didn't lose at home, uh, mm-hmm. hardly ever. I mean, may, maybe once or twice in, in three years. Um, and we also just had a great mixture of, of veterans. You know, I bring up people like Jeff Agus, uh, mm-hmm. Troy Dyack, uh, myself, um, uh, Richard Mulroney was in that, that landscape. And there was just a great core of veterans that were there for a couple of years. And then obviously, um, you know, when you, uh, bring into your environment, probably the greatest American soccer player in the history of the game and Landon Donovan, mm-hmm. uh, and really he, he had a short spell in Europe, but it, it, it was a struggle for him at that age. So him coming to us, he was ready to come and show who he was and show what he could do. 
And I think our environment was ready to embrace him in a way that wasn't as, uh, I would say, we, we weren't in a hazing type of mode of the team. Mm-hmm. We were a, a team that wanted to prove something, um, partly because, you know, a lot of us ended up in San Jose for, for uniquely different reasons. You know, I think they, I think we were one of the worst of first. I believe in, in, in 2001, mm-hmm. it was a worst of first story. So um, I wasn't there in 2000, but I, I think that, group really embraced the idea of, of a balanced team in terms of age of, of having younger older and, and really having players in their prime kind of all come together to try to push each other in different ways and and that's why it's such a special three years and then I would add for me my, my I had two kids in those three years so my, my two sons who uh, are now 16 and 17 respectively I got they're 17 months apart born in uh, 2002 and 2003 so a uh, great special time. And I'm so happy and proud for that club that they, they've grown and, and have a stadium of their own now and, and are really uh, growing their own uh, you know, kind of brand and, 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 and identity. And I, I like to think it's based a little bit off of those years because the team did leave and went to Houston mm-hmm. uh, and there was a void there. And I think people mm-hmm. are just like, there's no way this, this team that has two MLS cup championships uh, should be without soccer. So I was just going to say, was that shocking to you when that happened? You know, I, I think if you look back um, and if we're honest about where we are as a league now and we look mm-hmm. at that time period and you think about uh, how few owners were actually owning all the teams. Mm-hmm. Now it was yeah. just a couple owners that were saying, yeah. hey, this is this has got to turn around. People got mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. believing in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, those markets maybe had to move to really understand what they're missing or what they, they wanted. And um, I think that's what happened in San Jose. And I think that's why it's bigger, stronger, better now because of it. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that's why Miami is going to figure out a way to embrace and sure. have a great franchise is because mm-hmm. they, they had one and lost it. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's why uh, the journey for Minnesota here uh, is so special and unique and, and it's going to be so special is because it just didn't flip a switch. And we had MLS uh, in, in two or three years. So, you know, you had this trajectory I would say going back from the, since 1970s uh, of people at all phases yeah. of, of this sport, all genders, mm-hmm. all, um, all, all walks of life uh, mm-hmm. being impacted by, by soccer coming here in the seventies and, and trying to survive in different ways in the eighties and then building up uh, from an amateur base in the nineties to what we are now. So it, it really is why I think, um, uh, you know, we have such a genuinely unique organic fan base here in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, there's some legendary stories of some tailgating in the parking lots back in the day. Um, so I just think people underestimate maybe the history of Minnesota soccer. But um, I, I know when you talk to people in San Jose now, too, that same thing. It's just kind of shocking at the moment when it happened. But then they maybe did come back bigger and stronger um, when soccer returned there. And then you went to Columbus, where you Columbus crew, which you got you reunited with uh another Minnesota soccer legend in Tony Sana and kind of a short stint in Columbus and, you know, more towards the tail end of your MLS, your professional career. But what was that like for you at that time, reuniting with him, ending, you know, uh, with the Columbus crew and sort of wrapping up your MLS career? I think it, it was a um, never, you never know when, how and when you're going to end your career as a soccer player. And I think um, going to Columbus, the, the, the highlight was winning another uh, trophy as a supporter shield. Uh, when I went there, um, mm-hmm. that, that felt really good to be part of that and contribute that. But it also started to really um, 
uh, resonate that my body was starting to break down. My, I had another knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't quite recover uh, the same way I did with the other ones. And I didn't quite have the, I don't know, it was appetite or just my body wasn't quite strong enough to, to mm-hmm. continue to play at the level I wanted to. So um, my time in Columbus was was bittersweet, only in that it's it's certainly was a, a reminder of a good time in my life with my kids, my family, even the soccer. Like I said, I, I won another trophy. Um, but uh, it certainly also is, is tough when you have to realize uh, something you've been doing your whole life and, and 15 years professionally had to come to an end. Um, you know, certainly it was nice to have, have a little time with Tony again at the back end of my career, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, ironic in a weird way. Uh, but that was like a life. weird full circle moment. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Um, but in the end, you know, again, I, I, I like I said, I, I made some really good friends and, and really good connections while I was there. Um, and I also think, uh, you know, one of the things I always try to express to anybody that I work with now, like, you know, the career is not, you know, it's a linear graph that goes straight up. Uh, it's a bunch of mountains. And then the, the next mountain, uh, you have an ability to climb that mountain. It's going to be hard. and It's going to be much higher probably. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the things you learned uh, in the last mountain you climbed will help get you there. And, and certainly, um, I think the the mountain of navigating retirement uh, <laughs> is massive for every player that's that's finishing out their career and figuring it out. Uh, but in, in a weird way, Columbus helped me, um, you know, kind of prepare for that uh, next step because I, I really knew um, it was probably the right time to not try to push my body in that way anymore. I think that's probably the hardest thing for people is to accept the right time and to go out on a good note or a positive note or however you view that um, in your career. So when the moment came and and you, not just you as a player, but as a family decided that it was time to end your MLS career, but then you went back into coaching and let's get back into, to Minnesota United, the iteration. So you returned to Minnesota after your time in MLS as a player and seeing this club, this Minnesota soccer community evolve into what it is now what kind of lessons we've talked about it a little bit but that from your time as a coach not just, I mean as a player all over the league and going through the challenges of your injuries and the ups and downs and navigating how do you think that's helped you in your time here with Minnesota United transitioning into MLS and in your different roles with the club here and seeing it grow well, I, again, I, I'm going to say it with a sense of pride I've been at the club for 13 years and I, I've seen a lot of uh um, moments where I, I didn't know if soccer was going to continue in this iteration in the state, you know? Um, and I, I, I love one of our values of resiliency because I, I think that's what the club has been over, uh, the last 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say 50 plus years of soccer in Minnesota in terms of the resiliency of trying to keep high level soccer around. So, um, for me personally, you know, I, you, you go from when you come back and you try to contribute to the club in any way possible, I was more working on the camp business and working on trying to get the club you know, a little bit more financially sound. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, we lose an owner. And so now mm-hmm. you really have to scramble. And, and you know, I, I remember taking out credit cards personally to try to keep the club going. And we tried to get the league to invest and, and national sports center steps in and helps us out mm-hmm. for a year. And then the next year they can't do it because it's still a tough business plan. And so then the, then we get the league to say, hey, this you don't let this market go because this is a great market. Mm-hmm. Um, where we are now, and, and you think about those moments where, um, you know, it, it was a decision maker or two away from not being here. 
mm-hmm. it's insane to me. It's, it's surreal. It really kind of brings it home. But for me individually, um, it's just a reminder that you, you kind of have to embrace the, the times that are tough and try to accept where things are a little bit like right now. Mm-hmm. And then believe, you know, that whatever happens on the other side, you're going to come out positive. You're going to learn from it. Um, sometimes you're going to like it. Sometimes you're not. But um, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, I, I just gave an interview the other day about Wonderwall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, there's there's 20,000 people that sing the song after we win or there's this amazing supporter section. But, you know, that really started based off of, you know, a small little fan base mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, started to serenade the players based off of them knowing that we maybe would go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody decided to take a video just to, to make sure there was this, you know, moment of of recording of, of our celebrations, in the locker rooms, because the league would not be a team the next year. And then how that evolved to um, where it is in our stadium now, but even more importantly, how that evolved into building something special in Blaine uh, at the time that created a, a, a unique special bond with our fan base, with the players that we now use to recruit, that we now use to um, to build and, and grow and, and as a club and, and as part of our identity. It's so special. And then certainly it's used for the ownership group. There, there's no doubt our ownership group would not be involved. Um, if they did not feel that passion, compassion, empathy by the players, by the fans, the connection um, that it shows. A lot of our owners aren't first uh, generation, or I'm sorry, they're not, they're not exactly like diehard soccer fans. Yeah. They're yep. diehard Minnesota community-oriented people mm-hmm. who now recognize this amazing sport and the, the value it can provide and inspire and unite, like our why, mm-hmm. uh, to this community. So. Um, it, it has a uh, it, it has a trajectory that that is surreal, and I, I keep on saying every time I still go to a stadium in a game, mm-hmm. um, I cannot get over the fact that I'm in the Twin Cities when I yep. leave. I'm like this yep. doesn't make sense. So, um, and then I, I think it also allowed uh, the the fight allowed me to figure out a way that part of this business is fight. It is battling. It is getting knocked down, getting up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I learned that as coaching for six years and as a sporting director for six years. And I had a lot of good moments and a lot of moments where I failed. And I had to figure out a way to get back up and succeed. And, and again, um, I think that is unique to, to the club allowing me to give myself the ability to, to learn and grow as a coach and as a person. And then as a sporting director now, um, very humble, very humbled by it. And, and like I said, you know, very, very honestly, just still, you know, in this haze of, of how did this all happen and how yeah. do we have uh, what I would consider the nicest stadium in the league mm-hmm. based on the story, what I just said about we're not this market that I think yeah, the rest mm-hmm. of the country looks as special as we look at our market, uh, which to me makes us even more special. So, And I think uh, everybody who visits here is coming to realize exactly what this market is. You know, I mean, people love Allianz Field for obvious reasons, um, but at the same time, I think uh, people may be pleasantly surprised or, you know, when they, when they come to this market and see the fan base and see the passion. And I think you spoke to some of the ownership group from Minnesota United, maybe not being diehard soccer fans initially, but they understand what that kind of passion is like and what Minnesotans can do. I think that's a, a lot of people that just come to a soccer game. They may not be diehard soccer fans and then they grow to love the game. They grow to love the experience. They grow to love the passion that is shared amongst the people that are there. And I think that's in, in a nutshell, why MLS is where it is today, because it's happened in every city 
um, across the country or North America for that matter for different reasons and why it survived in, for 25 years in the markets that it hasn't grown to the markets that it's in now. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things I can say that I, I felt like I grew last year um, and shifted from a mentality of I can't believe this is happening for the fans in that the fans showed us they deserve this. Yeah. They deserve 100% the best stadium in the country. They deserve um, to be acknowledged more and more uh, for who they are and how they inspire and, and push and build this club and, and this community. And to me, it's really hard for Minnesotans sometimes to do that. Uh, we, we tend to sometimes shy away from that type of credit, but I can tell you, um, you know, from how the fans have interacted, acted, supported the club, um, pushed the club to get better, push the club to, to grow. Um, I, I can't tell you a, a better fan base that doesn't deserve the kind of stadium, the kind of investment and support that our owners have given, but more importantly, that they've been part of the story for the last four decades of, of why um, maybe deep down we don't realize uh, how special a place we are, uh, but we actually do deserve uh, the stadium we have because of, of the belief and work of so many people over the last couple of decades. Last two questions. Should we bring anything back from the last 25 years, like the, the, the old penalty shootouts or yeah. maybe your best, your most favorite uh, Jersey in the history of the 25 years of MLS? There's been some pretty, pretty interesting ones. Yeah. I need to go through my jerseys. Actually, I've got <laughs> now up in my attic that I made us a good time. Um, well, let's start with the, uh, my favorite, I mean, I obviously the, the shootout was pretty cool in the 70s. I mean, that, that, that to me is a pretty, <laughs> pretty simple correlation between a penalty shootout and yeah. 35 yards. Mm -hmm. um, we had some ones in the USL days that I thought were pretty amazing. Like if you got seven fouls, then you got a shootout from the circle underneath the halfway <laughs> line and everybody could chase you. So we called it a stampede. Um, and again, this was back when, uh, you know, MLS, I'm sorry, not MLS, U.S. soccer yeah. was trying to think of ways that they could change the game uh, to fit to the American culture. Oh, Lord. My favorite yeah. thing right now is that we've gotten over that and we don't have to now change the game. Exactly. Our culture yeah. is embracing the world's game. It's embracing uh, – mm -hmm. You know, what a zero zero score feels like, a one zero mm -hmm. score, a mm -hmm. way tie. Uh, mm -hmm. It's embracing the environments and challenges that the players go through uh, to do what they're doing. So, um, certainly want the game to get better, but I, I feel like there's much more now a global uh, perspective on mm -hmm. soccer here in the mm -hmm. United States. And there's not this obsession that, you know, we have to fit this into what the yes. other sports are like. Yep. Um, now we just we are very proud that we are part of this great global game, um, and we're going to have the fans that want to be a part of the ride. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's the most thing to, that I could think of from the last twenty five years. Um, favorite jersey, you know, I still think the wing jersey back in the day was yeah. one of the designs mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, I'm actually a classic kind of you know French national team eighty two, eighty four, eighty six, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. maybe like the Liverpool eighty seven. You know these mm -hmm. kind of simple classic design yes mm -hmm. so for me to say kind of a, a jersey that has a wing coming out of it is one of my favorites <laughs> it has to resonate more than uh also but that an amazing i mean amazing jersey but it's also brings up you know we i think our logo mm -hmm. uh you know so many cool elements of 
of us and who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we get to talk about the story of the logo. It really does have um, a lot of pieces. And I'm excited, not just for, you know, that jersey, but for the next 10 years, what we can do with the brand and, and grow jerseys and gear and, and, and marketing things, just based on, I know we have such a logo that we're all proud of. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Too much stuff to talk about in that area, Kendra. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. No, here, I know. Here we go in this, you know, downtime. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah. All good times, all good memories. And hopefully um, sooner rather than later, we get to form some more memories and get back with all the fans and the amazing Minnesota people that support Minnesota United soccer and have supported MLS and soccer in this country for a long time. And we get back to Allianz Field, but thanks, Manny. I know you, you know, know it's downtime, but a super busy time for you as well. So I appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you very much. And I, and I would just end with, you know, I, I, I really believe, um, you know, uh, the club is working really hard, both in the front office and on the sporting side to, to continue to try to do what we can to control and get better as a club and to try to, to listen to our fans, but also try to understand that we, we want to build a club that, that expects excellence, that wins. Um, and, you know, I, I think the trajectory of, of the club's uh, last three years and, and the resilience to try to get better every year, um, hopefully we can use that uh, at this time to let our fans know that we are continuing to try to, to think about ways to get better both on and off the field. We're continuing to try to figure out ways to service you, the fans, and, and really try to to not only uh, have an expectation of, of getting the playoffs, but winning championships and, and growing as a, a club and, and really um, being there for, for our fans in every way, shape or form. And I, I think, um, you know, this is bigger than being on the field. It's bigger than, 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 uh, than all of us. But at the same time, I think we can use this to kind of grow and, and, and build the club that we all want it to be. And, and again, I, I think um, the fans and, and the players and the, the community are such a big part of what we're going to be as a club when we come out of this, mm -hmm. that my message to end this interview will be, we're going to come out of it. And I think we're going to come out of it stronger. I think we're going to be more innovative. I think we're more nimble. I think we're going to have uh, an even better fan base and support. I think they're hopefully going to be more involved in, in pushing us and helping us and being there to support us uh, as we try to figure out what the next iteration of Minnesota United is. And, and I can only hope and, and, you know, kind of, just close my eyes for when that Allianz field is open again uh, and we see our family all together. Yep, it's been good to see you, but it'll be better when I get to see you in, uh, in person, face to face at NSC for the next training session. But again, thanks Manny, appreciate it. Thank you, Kendra. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers.